0: Welcome to the splinters podcast from the team on the bench community radios leading no holds barred friday night sports show available online and replayed on triple h 100.1 fm now here's your host the italian stallion dom Rizzuto.
1: G'day, day, Australia and welcome to Splinters. It's a pleasure to be with you here on our newly formed podcast. My name is Don Rizzuto. Like I said before, a pleasure to be with you making our debut here tonight. This is Splinters, a spin-off of The Bench. You can listen to us at 8pm every Tuesday night on Triple H at 100.1 FM. And of course you can listen to us live on the website www.tripleh.com.au and of course on podcast.com. Like I said before, this is episode seven, getting right into the crux of it now. We're firing ahead. We've got plenty to talk about. But first, I'm going to introduce my co-commentator today, as you would call him. He is the uh, Canberra kid. He's the, the young man who's graced our group of recent in the last year. He is, of course, Warringah Cricket's favorite son as well. Jacob Aquilina, mate, it's a pleasure to have you here. And yes,
0: g'day Dom. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. It's good to be here. In
1: my, also, my first Splinters
0: episodes. What a um, what a way to start the winners of 2018. Wonderful stuff. Yes, looking forward to getting into a, a big episode of Splinters and um, really, really putting our foot forward to for, for many
1: more Splinters episodes to come. Exactly right. You can obviously going through the the best performances, best athletes, best feel good moments. Uh, we've got some top ten moments that we want to get through. Everything that was good in 2018, we want to try and get to as quick as possible and just go through them as, as much as we can we're gonna start off with the formal stuff though wouldn't call it formal too much I'd say the uh, the tropical side of things we'm gonna go f- through myself and Jake's personal favorite moments a bit later on and then of course getting into some more fun stuff going further down the episode here on On the splinters, but we're going to start off. We're going to start off with the topical stuff. We're going to start off with the topical feel good stuff of this year. And Jake, I'm going to go right off the bat. The rise of Sam Kerr in 2018 has been quite sensational. And she, for me, and her rise and her performances this year, uh, has put not just women's football on the map in the country, in on the map in Australia, but just the game of football on the map. I think it's been a massive
0: year for football, absolutely, and, and Sam Kerr has been sort of the spearhead of that, especially in the women's game. I mean, she's come out firing, and every every time I seem to to turn on and watch Australia play in, in the women's soccer, she seems to get a goal. She seems to hit the back of the head every time I watch her. She's just, you know, she's a rocket. She gets out there. She just puts boot to ball and, and scores plenty of goals, I'm sure, more for yourself than me, who watches a lot more soccer than I do. Uh, she's probably you know, probably one of the
1: the best sporting female sports stars in Australia, if not the world at the moment. What does it do though, a, a female athlete like that, you know, obviously as you say, you know, it's not, football is not your your pedigree, it's more my pedigree, but she, she's, you know, there's plenty of female athletes out there in Australia at the moment who have really taken the next step. She's a part of that contingent, but what does she do more on, off the field
0: though? Oh, she, I'm sure she connects with her fans, like, like or, or, for this day and age, especially in sporting, you've always got your social media running and she's one of those ones who always runs on her social media and she always connects with her fans. I think that's probably the best way to do it. You don't. You see sports stars these days that sort of tend to back away a little bit and try and hide from the public eye, whereas Sam Kerr, she loves getting out there. She always gets and sees her fans after every home game. She uh, After every game, let learn a home game. But she, when she scores a goal, she's always going towards the fans. She's, she's never that one to shy away. And, um, it engages people to now watch uh, female sports, not just female soccer, but female sports in general. When you see characters like Sam Kerr, Really getting involved and really loving their time, because I'm sure she'd do it for free. I'm sure she'd get out there and go, "Oh, I'm playing for Australia. I've got the, I've got the, I've got the gold on. I've got Kerr on the back. I, I'm hitting the ball into the back of that every time. I could do this for free, and I sh- I'm, she'd turn up and do it every week. I'm sure."
1: Yeah, it's it's an important aspect, obviously, to have stars on both sides, both female and male. But Sam Kerr, for me, as I mentioned before, a huge rise and huge congratulations for her. 2018 has been massive for her. In a, in a, in a. In a World Cup year as well. I was about to say, she should feature heavily in the Australia World Cup uh, campaign. And she will going forward, especially that will be coming around in 2019. And for anyone who's uh, listening out there and is excited about more football to come... Uh, that'll be around summertime. I believe it's being played in
0: Canada. Yeah, I think it's Canada. We'll, as well. have, we'll have to, uh, to, double check. to double
1: check that one. But we're going forward. It's it, Her rise has been sensational. Def, all tops to her. She's been incredible. Scoring plenty of goals. And which is what she's paid to do. And what we love watching her do. But we're going to go. We're going to keep on the women's track here for uh, moving on to our next uh, feel good moment. Good story of the year. And we're going to go to Rugby League and one for you, Jake, in particular, Women's Origin. Well, women's Origin, I mean, the last sort of 10 years of
0: Women's Rugby League, no one's really paid that much attention to Women's Rugby League. I mean, yeah, it's there and people know it's there. And they have the Women's, the women's uh, International Sport and, and Rugby League. But this year has really been a year where it's taken off. You've got female stars now who who are now household names, your Kenzie Abses, your Alana Fergusons, your Ruan Sims. And, you know, some of them, they really got towards the end of their career where that's really started be, being bigger for them. And now that they've played a televised game, at, at, at their own standalone game, that's televised at North Sydney Oval, you were there, Dom. It must have been a wonderful experience for
1: you. Well, it was fantastic. It was a uh, packed out at North Sydney Oval. Um, a great Oval there as well. To, uh, you know, it's, obviously it's always a bit difficult playing rectangular sports, at Oval Grounds, but they're quite on top of you there, the crowd, mm. the way it's built, because it isn't massive like places like the Melbourne Cricket Ground and the Sydney Cricket Ground and the Adelaide Oval. It's not massively big So a good, I think a good 15,000, 16,000 packed into the North Sydney Oval on that Friday night, and it was a fantastic spectacle. People really got behind both teams, both New South Wales and Queensland. And, and to boot as well, it was a really good game.
0: I was about to say, the quality of women's sport, and especially women's rugby league, has really built over the last sort of three or four years. It's Now, you take um, you take any one of those, to, you wouldn't want to run everyone teams at all, would you? I mean, and... They just—they just so much better, talented. They've got more. I think the money being poured into it um, now into women's sport now has really built the skills, and they've really been able to work. They're not—they're not, they're not uh, workers who play rugby league part time. They're now rugby league players, and and that's a huge women's sport.
1: Again, on this this women's origin game, though, what what's the next step for you though going forward? Obviously, because massive occasion this year is one of the best moments in. I's been. We'll, sure, will be discussed um in other podcasts uh, the how rugby league has had a, a relatively up topsy turvy year to you know put it to say, it, least. To, yeah. to say least to put it nicely uh, this is one of the moments where it shows that in the right hands the game can go forward oh absolutely it can and and now that they've
0: got the women's rugby league competition as well it was only four teams this year but that'll expand that'll grow uh, now um, girls who are watching these girls now that they're on TV, they're going, oh, now I can do that. If I want to do that, I can play rugby league. It's not just a man's sport anymore. And you got—you watch girls like Maddie Studden, and Maddie Studden is probably the best halfback in the women's, in the women's game, and if she's good enough to play, she's almost good enough to play in the actual NRL, you know, but just the way she views the game, and the way she plays the game. But And if you build a team around May and then you could you could build another rugby league team there and it'll go to eight teams, it'll go to 10 teams when they get more players in and it gets more growth. And that's the one of the best things about rugby league this year was the growth of the women's game. It's so good to see.
1: Yes, of course, as you said, hopefully more teams will get uh, inducted into the NRL women's comp Surely right a team. Let's put well, it, well, exactly right. And that was uh, another contentious thing, but we're all about... Uh, the good stuff here, today, here we We're about Absolutely. the good stuff here, the Jacob. one of those good things, we're going to move away a little bit from women's sport now. We're going to move away from Australia, and we're actually going to go over to our friends in the USA. And a big, a big moment for you this year: the Philadelphia Eagles going all the way and taking out the Super Bowl in their first ever. Well, their first ever win. I, I watch the game, and you turn up to the Super Bowl, and and you when you
0: see Philadelphia versus New England Patriots, you're not going to think about Nick Foles, and and you're not going to think about those guys. You're going to think about Brady Gronkowski and you know those guys who are just going to tear up and they win every game you know the patriots are that good they're going to they're going to win this game and for, for nick foles to take his his team he's a, he's a second stringer nick foles and he won the super bowl and he did it in a in a very powerful fashion i mean it was an excellent game to watch. It was well played out. And it, was, it wasn't one-sided. Like, we've seen New England take teams away. And there was that year where they almost lost. Well, they they, they were down by 30 points in New England and came back. That was against Atlanta. Against Atlanta, that's right. Again, uh, and But this year, it was so tight and close. And and then for Nick Vols to come out and just play the way he did in that final quarter and drive all the way down and get a couple of touchdowns, I mean, oh, it was such good to watch and so good to see someone else, you know, someone in green lift it and not someone in blue, you know. It was really, really good to see, and it was just awesome
1: for the Philadelphia fans parting for. I'm sure they're still parting. I'm sure. In, in some way, we'll talk about Foles a little bit later on, and and, and where he ranks in our in our winners uh, of 2018. But in in its sense, Philadelphia's win. Not only was it great for a, a, a state and a city that really needed it, mm. but also it. Looking through the performances of the NFL this year, it almost. Sort of signified a changing in the guard in the NFL. You've looked at the, you know, the Patriots aren't doing too badly this year, but they're they're, they're not, not doing. Dominating, they're not dominating, and you could, mm. perhaps you could almost say that that Eagles win was potentially the last time you'll see a Tom Brady in a
0: Super Bowl. Oh, I think it's a little bit too early to say whether he's going to go back back again or not. I mean, they've been in the five uh, previous Super Bowls, and whether they'll get in this year. I mean, the thing about the Patriots, they're always like, like the Melbourne Storm, like it always. They win a game and they'll get into the finals and I'll just turn it on from there because they are just a dominant superpower in that NFL comp but I think there's a little bit of a changing of the guard You know, Brady's getting up there, Rodgers is getting up there, he's losing a little bit, obviously Drew Brees has had a, a, a phenomenal season at, at uh, New Orleans at the Saints but the younger guys coming through from you know from the draft including Baker Mayfield who we'll, who we'll touch on later, it, it could be a little bit of a change in the guard where some of the teams you might not see win as much like your Oakland Raiders or, or even your, your your Browns, um, they're coming through and they're winning a lot more games. It's really good to see a little bit of a change. It's not the same four teams every year. It's, it's really good and I think we're getting a similar thing in the Rugby League and it's really good to see that some more other teams are, are coming in and really get, getting some wins under their belt.
1: Staying in America, another real good good story this year was actually the Stanley Cup Final between the Washington Capitals and the Golden Knights, the Vegas Golden Knights. In their inaugural year, the Knights went all the way to the final, to the Stanley Cup final, but went down to the Capitals, who had previously been in two themselves, or had had, had, excuse me, two pre-finals before that, and had missed out and had had a, a... Missed and missed and missed and missed and missed and got there and finally. They're almost like the Philadelphia Eagles of the NHL. Mm-hmm.
0: It's fairy tale on both sides, and it's really you couldn't pick which one you wanted more. You want? Did you want the Capitals to win after so so long and pushing through and working hard to get there, or did you want the the Golden Knights, the, the Vegas Knights, in their inaugural season, coming out and just dominating and going so well? It's not since really a first a team that's got their first year as a team make it all the way to the final, not since I can remember anyway. I'm only, you know, young, but I'm sure someone a little little bit you more seasoned, shall we say. He's got a few more <laughs> options. But, uh, but I mean, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, they came out, everyone's like, oh, how are they going to go? What's going to happen? And they came out, they played unbelievable for their inaugural season, got all the way to the final and just couldn't get over that last hurdle. And, you know, the Washington Capitals, they really played the well. They they got there. They worked hard for it. They, wanted, and they just wanted it more, unfortunately. It was a wonderful game to watch. And, well, congratulations to the Capitals. I mean, it was a very, very feel-good story. You know, a couple of feel-good stories there. The Eagles and the Capitals, you know, it's after a few years after Leicester winning in twenty sixteen, after coming out of nowhere, it's it's so good to see the, the fairy tale underdog come through and win it.
1: Let's talk about a, a real fairy tale though. Probably the the most feel-good story of the year. It's not so much a, a sporting match or a or a sporting person, but it was during the Winter Olympics and the opening ceremony where Korea, a unified Korea that's both North and South for people listening in who is uh, as uneducate, uneducated as I am when it comes to <laughs> political and geographical places. But they came out together, both North and South, in the Open Ceremony, and probably was the epitomized how sport unifies. Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, we've always known that sport brings people together, whether it's it's race or country or even geographical, but politically as well. And to have a unified career, to have so, have a battle between both North and South for so long and have so much talk, hype about it, and then for, come, for them to come out... As one unit, it was just a, a, a wonderful moment. I'm sure the people of Korea were very, very pleased of how the, how it turned out. There's a little bit of chat going around before they went in as a as a um, as a unified nation, for as it were. How how it was going to end up and how it's going to go for for Korea. But they just went so well. And they they performed well as Korea and they they supported well. Their supporters were fantastic. Everyone's seen the photo and the video of all the Korean supporters in munis and really getting behind their their country and or, or their relative countries and. It was actually really good to see about just an actual feel-good story. And we've seen all these stories about people messing up in sports. Something really good to see that sport can bring two politically nations who've been, you know, almost at war for so long to bring them together and to work as one. It's, It's awesome
1: to see. Now, I'm not too sure on the timeline here, but I'm fairly sure, I'm definitely sure that they were very close together. But either following or previous to this, the leaders of both nations met at the border. For the first time in i don't know how many years Uh, too many years years. so because
0: they actually they shook hands and they both walked into the opposite country now there was a huge moment i'm pretty sure it was after and uh and i mean it's oh what a what a huge huge moment for them to to start off and to think that that sport has, has brought two warring nations together almost it's it's just really really good to see and really heartwarming stuff
1: if there was a a sporting story that you would want to see similar to this, what would it be? Oh, I don't. I, I couldn't tell
0: you. I, I literally couldn't tell yeah. you. I, you. I almost. I almost love a rivalry too much. You know, you got you got Australia, New Zealand, Australia, England in the Ashes in the cricket. Souths and 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 uh, the Roosters. Everyone in Manly. Everyone <laughs> in Melbourne. <laughs> It's just it, I I I couldn't pick a two teams to come together, two nations to come together, and uh, maybe if you bought, if I'd like to see Australia and England come together and try and beat New Zealand, but in rugby, but gee, I don't know how well that would go, and how many Aussies would get a start.
1: Probably well, two. yeah, that's a, that's another discussion for another time. To say to say the least, let's let's move on to our next point here. One that I'm quite excited about talking to you guys about is the rise of young tennis star Alex Diminor. Um. Alex Dimonor if you, if you don't know him out there, uh, young, under, I think he's 20 years old now. Mm. He's just become Australia's number one player. And Australia's tennis, you know, has gone under some, an, an immense change. Back in 2012, I believe it was, Bernard Tomic broke on the scene, 2011, 2012. He broke on the scene and he was meant to be the, the shining light. He was going to drag Australia... Because we had nobody before that. We had Leighton Hewitt and we had no one in between. And then along came Nick Kyrgios and we had... All of a sudden, we had this great contingent of male Australian players coming through. Even
0: Tenasi Kokonakis as well. He was... And when he first came in, he was, you know, placed in that category as well alongside Tomek and Nick and, um, and Kyrios. Thank you.
1: I did... I forgot about Tenasi Kokonakis. And those guys, not so much Kokonakis, but definitely the other two, really dragged... not not just Australian tennis through there, but Australian sports people's through the ground. Yeah, because unfortunately we live in a world where you're associated in groups, not as individuals. And and they really have, they did did a really horrible job. And to all of their credit, look, I gave them all the chance they could. Um, I'd still feel like Kirios is just a uh, uh, probably uh, two years overdue, but it still has the ability to mature. I don't see it happening in Tommy anymore. Mm. Um, he he's gone he's he's a lost cause we should we should we should let him go he shouldn't even give any kind of attention whatsoever so uh, obviously we had this two year period in, in the last few years in particular where it was really on the periphery of Australian tennis and it just was just like we really wanted these guys to to do well but they were just so hard to like it's so, it's good
0: to see someone in Australian tennis who's not just an idiot uh, he's not just someone who will spit the dummy as soon as it, uh, you know the the, it gets tough for them. he was one of those kids who's like, he's, he's the, the yuppie underdog. He's not an idiot. He just backs himself and, you know, he he's determined he's got that will. He wants to play tennis for Australia. He wants to get into the Aussie Open. He wants to win Wimbledon. He wants to do all this in tennis and he wants to be that one who's going to someone, you know, knock off a Federer or knock off a Nadal or something like that. He wants to be that guy that everyone goes, oh, Australian tennis is back. This is the guy. He wants to be that guy to lead us into the future and I, and I, it's just great to see, I think mature is probably not the, the right word, although he is mature, it's probably not the right word. He's more excited and, and determined to be out on the court, whereas you see those guys like Tomek and, and Kyrgios, they don't care anymore. They've got a million bucks every time they, they hold a racket and they, they're out there for 10, 15 minutes, they knock a few balls over a net and they go home and they make a million bucks. He He doesn't, he doesn't care. He wants to go out there and he wants to win games for Australia. It's so good to see.
1: Exactly right. It's come at at the perfect time as well for Australian tennis. They really needed it heading into another Australian Open. Um, You know, especially with the change of broadcast this year. It's got a new image. There's new rules. Mm. We'll we'll discuss that in a podcast time when we discuss the Australian Open. You know, it's come at a really good time. His rise, uh, and I'm excited to see uh, where he goes. Yeah, you know, he may not be entertaining. Like Curious was, you know, he may not have the raw power that Tomic had, but what he has, you mentioned, Jake, what he's got is just willpower, determination, and the want to play the game for his country.
0: Yeah, it's so it's really good to see that he, his talent will it will, you know, with with practice he'll becomes perfection. He'll work on his game, you know, he's only twenty years old. He's not going to come, he's not going to win a Grand Slam in, you know, in this this year, really. He's not really got a lot of chance to win a Grand Slam, especially with guys, you know, I don't even have to say any of their names, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're going to come up. Um... And and put him through his paces, but he's a kid that will in a few years he'll get a bit bigger, he'll get a bit more experience, he'll know how to play a game, he'll know how to move from clay to grass to hard court, he'll know how to move around, pick out pick out a, a weakness in his opponent and use that against them. That'll come in time and he will take I don't want to put too much, you know, weight on his shoulders, but he can take Australian tennis from where it's at now, it's a bit down in the dumps, and a few guys, oh no one really cares about tennis because we've we've only got idiots there. He'll take it from that low point. All the way up to where it could be with when when Leighton Hewitt won Wimbledon those all those years ago.
1: Well, let's move on from the tennis. We'll, uh, let's talk about one thing that I really want to talk about as well was actually the, t- the 2018 World Cup this year. People mm. forget there was actually a World Cup this year. Mm. Um, maybe because it it turned out to be something that they didn't expect, and it's what I'm going to tell mean people. Good. It was good. It was <laughs> actually good. It was really you good. You know, the last few years FIFA had, have caught some real bad press, and rightfully so because mm. they're a corrupt, awful, evil corporation. They deserve it. That being said, you know, giving the World Cups to places like Russia and Qatar and trying to make a 48-team World Cup so that they have more options to give it to poor nations that can't host the event. But with Russia, they also copped a lot of slack heading to Russia ahead of, obviously, all the political discussions about Russia and America and the violence that they had with the Euros between the the Russian supporters and every other European nation supporters who were there. However, it wasn't like that at all. It was well kept. It was well maintained. Far better than the Euros in 2016 where there was a fight every three minutes. It was it was beautiful. We had uh, fresh challenges come through. Um, I, obviously, I was a bit disappointed that Italy wasn't there, but England did really well, um, which is, you know, for some people... Not so exciting, especially from the Australian point of view, but if you're a big football fan like I am and you continuously see England lose, it was quite exciting to see them go so far for a change. Well, it was coming
0: home <laughs> for so long. It was it was on the way. It was, it was almost packaged and it got the, it got the uh, address on it, hmm. but unfortunately they did get knocked out. But I mean, what a World Cup it was. I, want, I don't want to talk about the soccer per se because everyone knows how well it went and how each team did. They, they all remember how their team did, but I want to talk about how Russia did as a host and... I had a lot of friends go over to um, to Russia to watch Australia play and etc etc watch and just get a vibe of the World Cup and I heard nothing but good things, nothing but good things. They were very good hosts. Everyone was having a great time. You felt safe, but yet you didn't feel overprotected. You know, there wasn't guys walking around with you know AR 15s or whatever that you you, could, you noticed that there was there was police there, but they weren't overpowering. They weren't you know over the top like it, like it couldn't get to sometimes in Russian you know everyone in the everyone in the pubs was having a great time the the hospitality was excellent the even the the hotels and the accommodation superb i heard nothing but bad things and you know what full credit to russia everyone was so Nervous when they went when I went to Russia, obviously with your your Putin Trump things and uh, how that was going to go down and how if Vlad was going to rock up shirtless on a horse or what was going on.
1: Well, I feel I feel like that's one of the. Well, I'm sure they'll talk about it at some point, One of the the losses of the year. Oh, huge loss. I feel it. like that was a disappointment. No, I, feel I, like I actually wanted him like to, like to a show well up. Deserved yeah, I, even
0: the, if if he, if Vladimir didn't turn up with his shirt off on a horse with the World Cup to the final. I mean, what a huge loss that is.
1: That's what he should have said to That's the... That's what he should have done. He should have said that to the boys in the Russian dressing room. If you win the World Cup, I will ride out and present it to you on a white horse shirtless. Yes. Imagine that.
0: Oh, Imagine the scenes when he walked oh. out. But, you know, in all seriousness, <laughs> as much as we all want to see Vladimir Putin with the World Cup, above his head. It was a wonderful spectacle and a wonderful competition to say the least.
1: Let's talk about uh, some more female figures in sport this year which have made uh, 2018 so fantastic. We've spoken a lot about the female athletes on the field and and all the personnel that have done a great job in helping them give them the light that they deserve. But let's talk about the ones sort of off it now. A one that something that's really resonated with you this year mm. uh, is the growth in female broadcasters.
0: Absolutely, and I think that in rugby league and cricket uh, is sort of my, you know, topics where I listen to the most of the most commentary. The cricket, I've got Ishigua who is it, you know arguably the best cricket analysis, um, uh, analyst at least the Lakers there but she only does the big bash for Fox Sports and she goes very very well she's got a lot of knowledge of the game but I think Ishigua um, is just so good at articulating what she feels and how she feels about the game what's going to happen she's great at ball by ball she can shift through whether it's um ball by ball or, uh, or colour commentating she's very good at both and she's
1: on 7 she's on 7 and she's on ABC and ABC now, um, I've been watching a lot of 7 mm, and I can safely say she does Fox Sports as well she does all of them I can Okay, so I can safely say that she carries the Seven broadcast team. Whenever she is commentating, she it, it makes cricket more interesting. It does. I, and that, that, I don't know what it is. There is the English accent. It's almost like she's replaced Mark Nichols. She is wonderful to listen to.
0: Let's not get, let's yeah. not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> she's wonderful to listen. Alison Mitchell as well for mine. She does the ABC, and she is fantastic as well. She's another POM who does it. She doesn't do much um, analytical stuff, but ball her ball by ball stuff, and she knows a lot about the game. And it's really good to see those two women, as well as Lisa Stolera. But you know, she only does the big bash, and she's very good because she knows all the players, and she, she's played with a lot of them. You know, the likes of um, Elise Perry and Alyssa Healy, she's played with those guys in in sport. But I, uh, the the way that Ishigua and, and Alison Mitchell really sort of articulate what's actually happening in the game of cricket is it's so good to hear and. Of course, rugby league Ruan Sims and Alana Ferguson aren't doing so much play-by-play stuff, but their, anal- their um, analysis of the game and their analytics is just bang on. Ruan Sims, um, admittedly, can do a little bit more work. She, you know, she's she was a, a forward who just really trucked it up and did a lot of work. But she's now, yeah, but she's done it for you know one and a half years, and she's done the women's origins. She's done rugby league just the normal um, round round games. And Alana Ferguson, she's done all the big games as well. She's done finals and Origin, and she also was there uh, in the international games over in New Zealand when Australia played New Zealand. She's so good at, at, at watching a game, reading a game, and, and just seeing what's going on. It's so it's so refreshing, Dom, to see um, females come in and. Know what they're talking about and really know the game, and they're not just bringing someone in who's just there because they're a female. It's really good to see someone who is so good at what they do; they're good enough to just get there on their own. It's it's, it's just so good. I think
1: it's important as well, just to wrap up this point, is that we do have the distinction that you know the 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 that the athletes, the pros, are given the the analytics role. They're you know mm. they're the ones that know what they're talking about. But we do now start to see. I think that was always inevitably going to happen. I think what's I think for me in particular, what really excites me this year, and it made 2018 fantastic in sport, is that we've got female ball-by-ball commentators coming mm. through. Guys and girls like us, you know, who didn't play pro but know the game really well because of the amount of hours you spend watching and studying and learning. These women who are trained professionals finally getting a go. I think yeah. that's the main thing about yeah.
0: this. Definitely.
1: Well, that wraps up the first half of Splinters Episode 7, the feel-good stories of 2018. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Welcome back, guys, to the second part of Episode 7 of Splinters, a spin-off of our show, The Bench. You can listen to Splinters at... 8pm every Tuesday night on Triple H 100.1 FM and of course stream it live on the web at www.tripleh.com.au and of course podcast.com. We're talking about all the great moments of 2018. My name is Don Rizzuto. I'm here with Jake Aquilina going through all the feel-good moments of 2018 that make us realise that we love sport and we love watching sport and we can't wait for more sport every single day of the week. We're going to get into some fun stuff now in the second half of this episode. We're going to talk about some personal wins, some of our favourite moments from the year, and then we're going to get into our top 10 winners for 2018. Jake, I'm going to start off straight to you. One of the big wins for you this year was a famous mare breaking and making history. That's right,
0: Winx. 27 straight Group 1 wins. It was... A phenomenal year for Winks. Obviously, moving on from the end of last year, where she won the Cox Plate, a uh, third Cox Plate in a row, and then just keep winning and winning and winning. She got to the 27th. She made it. A few hearts jump, a couple miss a couple of beats when she only won by a her nose here and there. But when she comes in and she really hits the straight and wins by a length and a half, two lengths, it's just phenomenal to watch. And 27 straight wins, a fourth Cox Plate, never in doubt. Uh, to see such a horse dominate so much and be in that era where I can actually understand and comprehend how well she runs. She, you know, Black Caviar as well, but obviously broke the record there. Winks and Huey Bowman, how much you know he loves to talk about Winks. And Chris Waller, how much he you know, would sacrifice to have Winks again. And the to- the talks now were recently coming out. Is she going to retire? Is she going to have one more run? Is she going to go over to Europe or go to America and see how she's going to run over there? But Winks, 27 straight, was one of my favorite moments of the year, Dom.
1: For me, with Winks, I'll never forget. I was out there one weekend uh, at Randwick watching her run, and I had a as, as every average punter tends to have, quite a poor day ah, yes. on the punts. I hadn't won a single bet, not even close. Wonderful. So I come round to to Winks, and I put twenty bucks on her to win at two dollars. Um, That's a steal. Where'd you get that from? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Well, it didn't. That's it didn't, free money. It didn't pay out very much. I can tell you that much. And I just remember seeing her lose, and I'm like, "That this will be typical." Yeah. The one time I bet on Winks, she'll fall, but no, like a true champion, she rode home untouchable towards the end. It was one of the closer races that she had, the closer wins. Would had your heart in your mouth there. Oh. That twenty bucks was almost going down the that drain. That was like that was that was and at Racecourse. That's two. That's two recordlings and or two <laughs> or two 150 lashes, one standard drink cans. So you can imagine. My uh, my heart was racing when I thought, oh, no, I'm going to miss out on those two much-needed two drinks. wonderful beverages to get <laughs> me through my losses. <laughs> to get, get losses. me through my losses, exactly
0: but right. Obviously, Winks is a, f- a phenomenal athlete. Uh, I'm going to call her an athlete because she is. She just dominates. She's just so good. But
1: Will what... we see a horse... Wh- qu- last question to you. Will we see another horse like her in our time?
0: In our time? Uh, probably not. I mean, 27 straight group ones, it's, it's, it's unheard of. I mean, obviously, we've had Black Caviar in the previous years, but... I mean, it's just a wonderful time for horses, and I I don't know if we I don't know if I want to see another horse dominate so much. I've just I've just having lost Winks, or you know, the talks of retirement weeks coming around, and whether she's going to run a race again or not. But I just I, I don't want to see another horse like that for another a good fifteen years or a good twenty years, and then the argument comes again: who's better, Winks or so and so, or Black Caviar and Winks, and who's going to win a race out of that? Or it's the old Maccabi Diva and um, Farlap uh, battle: who's going to win that? So. Oh, obviously, I wouldn't want to no, but Winks, she's just so dominant. But if we move on to you, Dom, and uh, one of your personal
1: wins was a a huge win for a certain Italian side. Yes, yes, this is this is my favourite moment. We'll get started straight away. This is my favourite moment. May in as we well go harder, go home. Exactly, go um, my personal favourite moment here uh, in twenty eighteen was the Giallarossi AS Roma, the Serie A outfit. My beloved Roma, uh, wants home. To the famous Francesco Totti, who's retired, obviously in 2017, they went up against Barcelona in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. Roma hadn't made a Champions League quarterfinal in over 10 years, and funnily enough, that was that was back in 2008 where they lost to uh, UCK Moscow uh, in the 2008. Funnily enough, they then beat them 10 years later to go through to this game. Now, like a true House football fan, the world is. Like a true football fan. I have seen my beloved Roma fall so many times to big teams like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United. You, the, the list is endless. I could, they always, they always lose it. They never ever win. And I got up early in the morning, as I usually do, to watch them play the first game at the new camp. And they went down four-one. They got absolutely obliterated. They played. They actually played better. The entire game, but it was just one of those things mm. that they just didn't take their chances when they come. Could finish
0: uh, off their opportunities. I'm
1: exactly right, and they allowed the likes of Lionel Messi and Luis Suarez to run rampant, and they scored four goals to one. Jacko scoring the 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 only goal in the the game for Roma. They then went back to the Stadio Olimpico down four one. Now I got up thinking, I'll get up, I'll watch twenty minutes, I'll see. Us go f- full hard. They'll probably score a goal on the counter through Messi, and I'll turn it off and we'll yeah, we'll call it for another over. year. Yeah. However, we got an early goal through Enajeko in the sixth minute. So, or hope a little bit of hope. You sit a little bit taller than a chair, so you, you yeah, get up a little, little bit, bit. bit taller. And you've got to remember, got to remember Champions League's game's are around 5, 6 o'clock in the morning at that time of year. So you're a little tired when you first turn it on. Your eyes are still a little bit dreary. The sleep's still there. Mm. You can't really see. Still blind. For them but when that first goal goes in, you start wiping yeah. it away and you start to pay attention. And Then sat through another gruelling 55 minutes of play. Messi had about three free kicks, which he usually just gets mm. every time, which he blazed over. Uh, it was very scrappy. And then uh, out of nowhere, Daniele De Rossi played a ball over to Ed and Jacko, and we got a penalty through a foul on the big man up front. Gerard Pique clearly pulling him down. In all money, I was so surprised because in so many of these big moment moments, referees are really, they find it really hard to penalise those big teams mm. when they need to be penalised because they think, um, you know, a good player like that from a good team wouldn't make that kind of mistake. It happens all the time, but they didn't. And um, this was probably the most agonising m- moment since I watched Italy score the winning penalty in the World Cup in 2006. Daniel mm. De Rossi, uh, the second most su- well, successful and famous uh, Roma player. For, for Maybe for Australian moments, the Luisi penalty to get into the World Cup. Absolutely. That's an- that was another one right there. And, you know, it's... It was so close. He just got it in, De Rossi. put it in, got it past uh, Martin to in goals, and then it was on. We had, he had to score one goal to go through, and I, I didn't think in a million years it would happen. Like We were pushing, we were pushing in a couple of like incredible saves, and it didn't go through, and then we got and a corner. And you're up in your seat, oh, you're, you're riding like, it with them, uh, are yeah, Absolutely, everywhere, every way, and I get to the final, uh, it's about five, seven, five minutes to play, and we get a corner, and it's whipped in short, so it's a near post so immediately, if you go in near post, your chances are slim because you've got to flick it, you know, 120 degrees the other way behind to, you, behind you yeah. to get it that way. And the Greek god of Rome, as he was famously called by uh, Mr. Jury, uh, the commentator at the time, Peter Jury, called him the Greek god of Rome. Costas Manalas rose high <laughs> and flicked home for the third goal. And I don't think I've celebrated so hard in my entire life. Waking the neighbours up. I was, the I was up. breaking... Ev- oh, the, my housemates were asleep. I was breaking everything. I was chucking everything. I broke a PlayStation controller. I just, <laughs> I picked something and I go, And if people don't know me, I can't stand Spanish teams. I don't mm. know what it is about me. It's maybe because they're successful and I'm sick of them winning all the time. But Barcelona, Real Madrid, I can't stand them. And it's nothing better than seeing them lose because... Everyone just talks about how great they are. And it's that same thing with the Messi-Ronaldo fanboys and all that sort of stuff. And I'm just so sick of hearing about yeah. them. They finally lost. I mean, Did, we Not just to lose, but to lose to your team. No, to lose to my team. And it, we'd never beaten a Barcelona side like that. And we held on to win famously to go through the semi-finals. We then get beat in the semi-finals by Liverpool. And almost actually went through to the final in similar circumstances. It wasn't a beat. But that win alone was enough to make my 2018. To beat Barcelona after being down by three goals on aggregate, to go back home and just show so much determination and heart, mm. as, a, as a sporting fan, there's nothing
0: else better in this world. It's such a big feeling. And for Roman to play like that in a semi-final, it must be so hard to back up. It reminds me of the it Green Bay. It was like their grand final. The Green Bay Packers, they, they scraped through to get through into a playoff game and to play the Atlanta Falcons. I'm pretty sure it was the year they played... Um, uh, New England in the final, they scraped through and I thought, oh, we got a chance to make it here. And then Atlanta came and they, well, they went, yeah, thanks (laughs) for no thanks. And surely it's similar to that. They played so well and just tough to back up from that. Yeah,
1: it it always is tough to back up. But enough about my beloved Roma, back to you. Another nice moment for you, Elise Perry. Mm. I I want to, Australian, is it too
0: early to call a cricketing legend? No, I don't think it is. I mean, she's been playing since she was about eighteen years old, and she's just been dominating. She was the, you know, a, a dual sportswoman. She was doing everything she wanted to do, and she just dominates women's cricket so much that the first ever women's Ashes Test match at North Sydney Oval, Elise Perry, she got two hundred runs, a double century, the first ever women's double century. What a moment it was! I was watching. I, I was watching. She about? I saw her get 100, and I thought, oh, I'll flick around, see what else is on. And I flicked back, and she was on about 180, and I went, oh, we're on here. We're definitely on. She got into the to the, 90, the 190s, and she was nervous. She was nervous, and she hit that big six, and she went up. We all went up, and it wasn't, it was 199. She had miscounted. She didn't get the 200. Oh, no. but she was. She ended up getting a four and not a six, and we all thought it went for six, and she didn't get the, she didn't get that moment. So she celebrated, and she didn't have it. She needed six. She only got four. So she went well, not at 198, not 199. On my apologies. And we all went up. We were like, you biddy, she's done it. And then she didn't get it. And then the following ball, she hit the next one for six and got the double hundred. It was oh, an excellent moment. She is, you know, up there with Sam Kerr, uh, you know, who are the best sportswomen or even sports, sports people in Australia at the moment. She's just so dominant. She scored another hundred recently in the Big Bash. Um, for the sixes, but that 200, to watch her play an in innings that is, you know, she built an innings. She got out there. She played time. She played patient to get all the way to triple figures to then to celebrate her 200 twice because why not? It's the first one ever, and oh, it was just a phenomenal moment to see someone work so hard and
1: get to where she is and, and just play through and just be, play a perfect inning. Someone like Alex Dimonor, who we spoke to, spoke about previously, in a similar vein, she is what cricket Australia really needed in this year, particular particularly as well. Definitely,
0: with the the women's Ashes getting uh, a start on free to air TV, and then now them playing the women's Big Bash on free to air TV, and all their games, all the international games being played playing on free to air TV um, regularly, not just on not not on the Go channels or the the twos or the mates or whatever. It's on the main channel. It's so good to see, and they needed someone to be the face of that and. It was always going to be Elise Perry. She's the she's the dominant cricket player, but for her to stand up and gets, and play so well and get 200 and really get people involved and watching her innings and the shots that she played and go, wow, women's cricket really is good enough to be able to me for, for me to sit down and watch it and go, this is good enough for me to sit and t- watch an entire innings like that. And it was just so good to see. But, you know, enough about cricket, Dom. I'm sure you're sick of it. Let's <laughs> go
1: to... Oh, that's, this, this, this false accusation that the cricket is not my sport is is really getting to me no it's dry yeah but it's not my it's not what what my really one. is your
0: sport rugby league it is and the biggest moment for any fan in sky blue
1: yes new south wales uh finally winning back uh, a what, what they what there would be their their second series win in the last 13 oh, it 14 felt like years. 100 years and it felt like 100 years i cried when they won it back in 2014 because mm. I, I had moved to australia in 2005 i missed the glory win. Is. that That win that year in 2005. I arrived in November. It had already happened.
0: Yeah, uh, the, the the moment I remember, the earliest moment I remember of State of Origin, one of the earliest moments of State of Origin was the charge down from Freddie, um, Brad Fitler, The charge down, he got the ball and scored under the post. And that was the last time I remember New South Wales winning a premier, winning a State of Origin until Paul Gallon, of all people, raised the shield.
1: Yeah, 100%. But this year in... Look, it, it was a difficult one this year because in some ways especially growing up in our era of growing up watching rugby league it really grew for me in particular a hatred not a personal hatred just a playing hatred as you have you know players that you don't like Mm. wanting to beat Jonathan Thurston Cameron Smith Billy Slater and then obviously to a lesser extent Cooper Croc Greg Inglis those were the guys like that was that team you, you, you wanted to New beat New South Wales were the underdogs you wanted to beat them Yeah. this year was difficult because it was like well you know they won but we didn't beat them Yeah. but you have to we only beat them once exactly right we only beat them once and that although was magical and I won't even talk about the year before how New South Wales were blatantly robbed in the second game but yeah. we, that's another argument for another day this series though I, I think it was a real good one for me personally yes okay we didn't beat those guys but and yes, we didn't. It wasn't a clean sweep, but it's rarely ever a clean sweep. Nah, that's the that's first fine. we lifted the trophy. That doesn't exactly matter. Exactly right. we lifted the sh- we lifted the trophy. That's all that matters. What I really like this year is is Brad Fitler. Actually, he really proved me wrong in some respects because he didn't have a a, a great coaching record. Um, but so he come in and he's done something that all previous coaches have said they would do, and they he would pick on form. Not on, not on merit. Mm. Laurie Daly said it in 2014, and he went on in one state of origin. 2015, when Mitchell Pearce came back, he totally changed his line of uh, selection. Well, his idea of selection, and said, "Oh no, we've got to, we've got to pick the guys who have been there and proven that they can done that." Mitchell Pearce has never proven that he can done that yet. He mm. still found himself in the team, so I lost a lot of respect for Laurie Daly when he did that, and he never won a series since mm. went after that. Um, Fittler didn't obviously do that. He came in, he picked players, he he dropped the the likes of Woods who actually hasn't been bad at origin necessarily. Just wasn't informed. He picked young guys, he picked guys, I think something that other coaches have been afraid to do, he picked the best players in the best positions. Mm. He didn't pick players because... Oh, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna pick Daniel Tupo because he plays next to Latrell Mitchell, so the, so we'll play them together. Oh, I'm gonna pick James Maloney because he plays next to Nathan Cleary. Yes, those two ended up playing, but there was a big time where that wasn't going to be the case. N- James Maloney played himself into that jumper in the at the end of the day. Hundred percent. He not pick, and you're not picking guys like who can play lock and eight. And yep.
0: Lock and front row. You're picking guys who play lock every week. And exactly who play right. Front row every week. Exactly
1: right. None of these none of these dual positions. There was only one in the end. It was Tom Tavai, who played on the wing, mm. who started on the wing. So it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. And he proved to be fantastic. It, it was a massive win and a real changing of the guard in state of origin. I don't think this team will go on to dominate like for teams. It'd be competitive team, now, which, it, which I like, which is exactly right, which is what Origin needs to be. You don't want a team, and I'm one of these sports supporters and lovers. I don't like blown out competitions. No, that's why it's difficult to like things like La Liga, like I mentioned before, and. Because you've only got two teams winning it all the time. You know, even, like, I know I I love the Serie A, but Juventus have dominated for the last 10 years, but... They haven't dominated by a lot. Like they are, they usually just break away at the end, but it's close throughout the entire season. That's what Origin needs to go back to. It needs to go back to that New South Wales might win a couple, then Queensland might steal one away, then New South Wales might win one, and then Queensland might win like three or four in a row, but then New South Wales wins one back. The
0: battle is what I enjoy. I like it when you, you don't know who's going to win. The last few years, you've gone in New South Wales going, oh, we're not going to win, or so, you know, we're going to play to make it competitive, but we're not going to win. But then. Sort of about three years ago, I, I looked at the team and went, we can win this. And mm. we didn't. We were robbed, as you said, a few years ago. And then we didn't play well enough the previous year. And I thought, oh, maybe we can win this. And then this year was the year I thought, oh, we're definitely going to win this. And winning we went in with that attitude that we can win. Then obviously, new coach, new culture, new players is a huge, huge stepping stone in that. But I like it when there's a bit of bit of competitiveness, a bit of 1v1. We don't know who's going to win. Is is Cam Munster going to step up this time? He's going to take the he's going to take Queensland all the way, or is is Nathan Cleary going to win it for the next ten? And you know, be there for the next ten years and win a few, you know, off his own bat. So it's great to see a little bit of competitive nature. I like it, Dom.
1: Let's get in quickly to our final wrap up. Here we've picked out ten winners, myself and Jake and myself. I've just read the list here,
0: Dom. It's very Australian based. It's it more is more our top ten. It is our winners that we thought deserved a little something, a little win this year that. Um, that they really maybe not have got this. I'm sure there's people we've missed out, but these are the ones we felt that they had the best wins this year. Coming
1: in at number 10, a quick one, a quick analysis of why he was there, Jake. It is the Australian cricket captain, Tim
0: Payne. It is Tim Payne. And for someone, obviously we've all heard about the ups and downs of Australian cricket this year, but for someone to go from backup keeper in their shield side, having to play second 11 for Tasmania to then three months later be the captain of the Australian cricket team, That'll, I'll take that as a win. Uh, for him to be, look, I rate him as probably the best keeper in this. Uh, I don't know why he's taken him so long to play a Test match cricket again, but to, for him to go from backup keeper to Test captain in a couple of months,
1: that uh, I'll take that as a win any day of the week. Moving down the list, uh, Austro- number nine, Australian uh, snowboarding hero, Scotty James. Scotty James, mate. He third in the uh,
0: half pipe at the Winter Olympics. Um, it was a really good year for us in snow sports, especially. But Scotty James, he was the big one. He was our chance. He did really, really well and got the bronze and a really good performance from him. And, oh, look, it's really good to see someone in, n- in non-traditional Australian, you know, sport that Australians traditionally don't get around, have someone do so well. It's really good to see. And we move on to number eight, uh, Caitlin
1: Bassett, Dom. Yes, Australia's favourite netballer. She's a all-class Caitlin Bassett. She has won the last... She essentially was at uh, over at West Coast uh, playing in netball. She never really won anything. She was dragging the team along. Never got close. She then came over to the Sunshine Coast, uh, won two titles. Uh, this year included, and which was against her former team. Um, that, you know, I just won two titles. She pretty much took a team and, and won it from nothing to something. To something and aside. won MVP as well. And from actually, right. She was the grand final MVP. Um, she like she's just done a fantastic year for herself. Uh, again, she's a model for the for the sport mm. and has been for a very long time. And, she's and she someone, continues to dominate.
0: Someone who who, who girls and boys who, who like netball always they want to watch someone. And, you know, Carolyn Bass is that person they really want to get behind. Coming in at number
1: seven, and we obviously just spoke about it, was Elise Perry. We come down to number six. And it is uh, the man we spoke briefly about as well uh, earlier in the show, uh, the backup quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Foles, who came in to replace in-form quarterback at the time who yeah. had gone 10-1 and 1 yeah. in the NFL season, Carson Wentz, uh, then got injured, did his ACL. Nick Foles come in. And if you don't know Nick Foles, and Jake, you'll agree with me here, he was kind of like a meme in the mm. NFL quarterback world. Yeah,
0: he was. He was that kind of guy that like, oh, he's there and he's, yeah, he's there and he's, it'll be there, but he's not going to be the guy who's going to win you a game, let alone, you know, win a Super Bowl. And, and he was the backup quarterback a real underdog, a real Stephen Bradbury story. It was. Everyone falling down in front of him, and Nick Foles come out, and he, he beat... Not only did he win this, Bowl, well, he beat the New England Patriots. They are the number one team, and Tom Brady, the number one quarterback, he couldn't get it done against a backup quarterback. And really, what an underdog tale. We'd love to hear it, but your man, number five, Luka Modric.
1: Number five, Luka Modric, the Croatian wizard, um, uh, took out the Ballon d'Or this year, the FIFA Ballon d'Or. He was also UEFA best player... A FIFA best player. Then took out the UEFA Ballon d'Or. Um, he finally broke the stranglehold that Messi and Ronaldo have had over mm. that trophy for the last ten years. Um, he was he had a fantastic year. He won a Champions League. He was in a World Cup final. Um, he he's a constant threat, whichever team he plays for. He's it, all class, and it's great to just like I said, it's just great to see someone step up and be good enough to say, hey. Messi and Ronaldo aren't the only good players out there just because they're the ones scoring all the goals.
0: Well, he really took that Croatian side almost all the way to, to a World Cup and you picked him over Mbappe, who had a, also had an extremely good season.
1: And Mbappe's time will come. Mm. He's t- of course, he was 2018's uh, best young player, uh, both at UEFA and for FIFA. He was incredible at, for France. But the, the difference here is Modric is the best player in his, in his team currently. Obviously, he had Ronaldo there, but um, he took Croatia to a World Cup final with a lesser team. Mm. France's team were predicted to win it from the start, mm. and they deservedly won it because they were the best team, but that's why Mpappe isn't there. That's why Modric is in there. We go down to number four, and it is a story that you would have heard about so many times this year, but we're going to give it a quick mention because he deserves to be in our top ten this year. Damian Cook... Jake, from South Sydney Rabbitohs backup hooker to a to the starting number nine for Australia and for New South Wales in the space of a season, you signed a, a multi-million dollar deal for five years at the South as well. Exactly right. You don't really have a better year than that. Uh, he's come from absolutely nowhere.
0: Look, we saw glimpses of Damien Cook last year when he was backing up for Robbie Farron. We saw him pick up the ball and scoot out and win win plenty of meters for for South, and then and and then you know t- he's gone from playing at North Sydney Oval on Thursday afternoon to playing for Australia in New Zealand against New Zealand immediately in a, a tough loss for the Aussies but he played phenomenally well he played phenomenally well for New South Wales you an know, integral part of that team and took a part of that winning culture at uh, at New South Wales but to go from you know wearing the, the 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 red and black for North Sydney to wearing the green and red of South sky blue and the green and gold in what was 10 months essentially I've never, You've never seen a win, a, a win like it. Another underdog story, is we talked about Scotty James and Tim Payne, but this is the real, this is why he's got him in the top four because he had a, a phenomenal year and he's a phenomenal player.
1: We're going to keep with rugby league for the next two. In at number three is arguably the best female rugby league player in the world of all time right now, Isabel Kelly. Mm. She had another incredible year. Yep. She golden played, boot winner. Golden boot winner. She's played for New South Wales, scored the winning try for New South Wales mm-hmm. in the first inaugural state of origin, women's match. Um, she's a class act. Um, I believe
0: she's got a try for Australia as well. They wanna, well of course, one. they would, they would have one. won a World Cup mm.
1: at the end Beat of... New Zealand at the end of the year End as of the well. end of year. Well, not truly. Really. It came into January, the World Cup final. My date's again or it was just before December. Um, it was very close either way. Yeah. To, to, to oh, will take much, it. Pretty much we're going to take it anyway. Um, we'll go down to two. Now, this is another great sort of uh, redemption story, mm. you would say. Luke Keary, mm. Roosters 5'8, in 2015, 2016, I should say, you know, he was told by Russell Crowe that he wasn't good enough and he shouldn't be playing first grade on a night out in uh, mm. one of Russell's many mansions. And he.
0: Had a few craft beers, I'm sure. Watching Gladiator, probably.
1: Gave a big, gave the middle finger to South, went over to Crosstown Rivals, the Roosters. Uh, you know, had to settle, settle out a couple of years while Mitchell Pearce was still there running the team. But he really took control of this team, even with Cooper Cronk coming in this year. And as we've mentioned before previously on episodes of The Bench, that it was arguably one of the most dominant grand final performances ever.
0: Oh, it was. He, he The story came out about Cooper Cronk and was he going to play and how injured was he? And then the story came out that he had broken shoulder blade and not just a broken shoulder blade, it snapped in half. And the story came out that Luke Keary. He when uh, when Trent Robinson went up to Luke and said, oh, "I don't know, you know, I don't know if Cooper's going to play. You don't know who's going to be your halfback." He said, oh, "I don't care. I don't care who my halfback's going to be. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to play my game. And I'm going to take this team to a to a competition win." And Cooper Cronk, yes, he was there. And yes, he played that director role. But Kiri had to really step up and step. And boy, did he! He he didn't step up. He jumped up and he took that team. He dominated Melbourne Storm. He dominated. He strangled them. He played the perfect perfect half game. Uh, uh, and he just went out there. He won the. He, the, uh player of the match, the uh, the Clive Churchill Medal, won the Clive Churchill Medal, got a start for Australia. Unfortunately, he was knocked down, and missed out, and he played. A, he, that Australia would have won that game against New Zealand if he kept playing because they dominated that edge so much. It was Cordner, Keary, uh, Mitchell, and then uh, Val Holmes on that wing, and I mean that's the most attacking edge I've ever seen. Yeah, and um, they were dominating that edge before. He got injured, unfortunately, but the grand final performance, his performance for Australia, uh, you know, I look, I don't want to, you know, put the mock on him, but I don't, I don't see him getting a start in the New South Wales jersey. I think um, Cleary and uh, Maloney will be your halves pair for at least the next four years.
1: Maloney's, oh well, yeah, that's another argument for another time. Another argument. I don't that's want another, the That's well, well, a, a totally s-
0: different argument. It's all about Luke Kiry. Six
1: months down the track. Yeah, it's all still. about Luke Kiry, <laughs> and to tell you
0: what, if he keeps playing like he is. Well then, he may as well get a start for the Blues jersey.
1: Exactly right. Now to wrap up, number one, we mentioned her at the top of the episode. Um, Sam Kerr, incredible year um, with the ball. Um, she was she pretty much has taken Australian football to a new levels, and not just the women's game as well as we mentioned before. The, the game itself, both uh, nationally and internationally. Mm. <sighs> and after all that, we finally got third. Could you believe it? Wow. And only a little over time. Jake, mate, it's been a pleasure talking the great moments of 2018 with you. It's always a pleasure, Dom. I love chatting about sport and love being here with uh, in the Splinters episodes. Of course, we can do it all without you, though, listening in. Thank you so much for joining us for Episode 7 of Splinters. My name's Dom Rizzuto. This has been 2018's best moments. Of course, remember to listen to the show on Tuesday, 8 p.m. every Tuesday night on Triple H, 100.1 FM, and of course, you can stream us live on au and on podcast.com. Until next time, it's been a pleasure. Have a good one.